Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's live stream. My name is Ryan Pauly, and we're going to have a fun conversation. You know, it probably doesn't take long for you to leave your house, go out to dinner, maybe even in your house, and you are just surrounded by screens, technology, entertainment, and things grabbing for your attention. And so hopefully the conversation today will give you some knowledge on how to think biblically and worldviewly about screens, entertainment, technology, as well as giving you some practical tips and tools on how to navigate in this world of screens that we live in. And so joining me to have this conversation is Brett Kunkel. Brett is my boss, my friend, my, I don't know, how else should I introduce you, Brett? Uh, Your mentor. (laughs) Mentor. Leader. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Brett uh, founded Maven. It's a worldview, really, organization focusing on training students. Oh, look at that. Matching shirts. I was going to say, who dresses you, Ryan? (laughs) You look really good. Oh, that's me. That's oh, yeah, there you go. Um, perfect. Well, uh, yeah, so Brett is has been working with students now over 20 years. How long has it been? Actually, it's been like 26, 25, 26 years working with students. All right, so at first as a youth pastor, uh, then you started working as um, – at Standard Reason, doing apologetics and, and the student impact director at Standard Reason, now with Maven, and really doing some great work, as we'll discuss here, training students, but also then the people who are working with students. It's kind of the focus of Maven. And so here, talking about screens, technology, how do we navigate this world that we live in? So maybe first, just for those kind of paying attention, maybe those who uh, are just now getting to know you, can you tell us a little bit maybe about the focus of your organization and why you are a person to listen to when it comes to screens and technology and students? Well, uh, so the three key things that we do are virtual training, and uh, we're launching like a parent podcast this month that my wife and I are doing and eventually developing other online resources for people to access. Uh, Number two is our live events. We have student events, we have adult events. We do a Maven adult conference, really for anyone who's working with kids zero to 18 years of age. This conference is designed for them. How do we help come alongside young people, kids, children, students, and uh, best disciple them? And this year's theme is actually on technology and screens. And then we do our immersive experiences, and that's where you're a field guide for our immersive experiences, uh, where we take students on kind of these the, the really one-of-a-kind, life-changing, worldview mission experiences. Really, I, I'm not sure there's any, any place out there where young people get this kind of training. And so uh, those are the three kind of key strategies that uh, we employ here at Maven to come alongside the local church and the family to help disciple the next generation. And I mean, I just have to say that those worldview experiences are just absolutely incredible and something that you should check out there at maventruth.com. Uh, as he mentioned before, maybe it got cut off, but uh, I'm one of the field guides for. And so I'm on staff with Maven. One of the field guides helped lead those trips, going on three of them this summer, twice up yeah. to Berkeley on the apologetics immersive experience, and then once out to Utah for the worldview theological immersive experience. So great, great opportunities that you should be checking out. As we kind of jump in then, um, as we talked about, this one is on technology. So now we come back to the second part of the question. Why should they be listening to you, Brett? I mean, I oh, guess yeah, you, that... you are a mentor. You're a boss. I mean, can I include like a pro surfer on that? I mean, I know you spend a lot of time in the ocean. Yes. Communing with the Lord right there, you know, um, listening for his voice. Yeah, no, I, 
why should you listen to me? It's kind of a funny question to answer, but I would say this. I think I bring to the table a lot of experience, 11 years of experience as a youth pastor. So working with young people in the local church, working with families in the local church, uh, 14 years or no, actually, I guess 16 years now of experience in parachurch ministry, working with young people and parents and adults all across the country. And then uh, over 20 years of experience as a parent, I have five kids. And that may be my greatest qualification is I have five kids that I've been experimenting on for the last 20 some years. I have a 25 year old. I have a who's married and out of the house. I have an 18 year old son. I have a 16 year old daughter. I have a 12 year old daughter and I have an eight year old son. So they're, they're kind of my guinea pigs, so to speak. They get to, uh, uh, experiencing me trying things out. And, uh, of course, I'm at home right now, so you'll see the kids popping in yeah. to the screen like that. But um, that's probably my biggest qualification is a parent who's made a lot of mistakes, who's had some successes as well, who's tried to apply wisdom to parenting, and is walking through all of this stuff right now with you folks out there too. So. Well, and that was the one thing that I was going to mention. That's I know it's a weird question to ask, but hey, you can handle weird questions, and that's one reason that you're qualified. No, but well, and uh, I expect a lot of weird questions from you, right? So. <laughs> of course, no, but you know, but you know, wanting to mention like you, you have you know your five kids, uh, and so you've you've implemented a lot of the maybe the practical tools that that we are going to be talking about. And I know I've talked to your kids about those tools and and their view on kind of how things have been handled. And so uh, that's just one thing is is you're not someone that just is coming from this on the outside like maybe I would be on how do I handle this with myself and how do I put restrictions on myself within my marriage uh, but actually now doing it with students and not just me telling these students here's what you should do but even with your own kids and kind of seeing that result because maybe we start with this is one thing that you know I know that I have heard and and maybe we'll get to why this is important really quick because this is on my mind but even as a teacher of kids falling asleep in class and then hearing stories about teachers will talk to parents and say, hey, you know, your student has fallen asleep and they say they're up till 2 a.m. playing video games. You know, you need this, something has to change and the parent says, well, if I take them video games away, they'll get mad at me. And, and so, you know, maybe like this is a, I mean, a question that parents maybe are dealing with and we see the technology in our culture, but then as a parent, man, if I implement some of these tools that we're going to talk about with my child, with my student, they're probably not going to like it. So maybe from the get go, how do we even handle this issue of our students, our kids not wanting maybe these practical steps that you're going to suggest? Well, I, I think maybe parents need to step back and think about what the, what the purpose of parenting is, right? What's the primary purpose? And, and of course, I think we're specifically talking to Christian parents. As a Christian mom or dad, what is my primary purpose? My primary purpose is to help disciple my kid to follow Jesus and to live for Christ. That trumps everything else. Uh, that trumps the kind of grades that they get in school. That trumps how successful they are in their extracurricular activities like sports. Uh, it trumps everything. And so that is, it's kind of the idea, of you, you begin with the end in mind. Uh, you, you, you begin with your, your end goal, and then that informs what I do and how I do it today. 
And so guess what? To be a parent means that there are things that I am going to do uh, probably on a somewhat of a regular basis that my kids aren't necessarily going to like. And I think more and more parents uh, today need to hear this. Uh, they need to hear a direct word. You have got to have more courage as a parent hmm. because it's not about whether or not your kid likes you. Obviously, I want my kids to like me. I want them to love me. I want them to, to love our family and our the family culture we've developed. Uh, but I'm also primarily interested in their good, their objective good, right? Uh, to flourish as a human being and to flourish as a follower of Jesus. And now I know that these kids who come into my house, who you know we brought into the world, who I love and adore, uh, I know that as soon as I bring them, you know, this little bundle of joy that I bring into the home, they're not just a, a bundle of joy and a bundle of, you know, uh, God's image and made in God's image and have in tremendous value and capabilities, but they're also a bundle of depravity, right? They <laughs> are, uh, there are sinners in their natural fallen state. I don't hear and, very many. Uh, I don't hear very many parents talking about their children's uh, children as bundles of depravity. <laughs> I think that's a new one for me. But well, it's true. It, is it? But that's the Christian worldview, right? The Christian worldview explains that when I bring that kid home, I, nobody has to teach that kid how to sin. Nobody has to teach that kid how to be lazy or how to uh, you know take the shortcut or how to to. Uh, you know, kind of pursue pleasure over hard things, right? This is just part of the fallenness of our human nature. And so so as a parent, um, there are going to be lots of things in the world that appeal to their fallen nature that I'm going to have to help them work through. And so I'm going to have to help them do things. Uh, this is a primary task of parenting. I I'm going to have to help my kid do things that they don't necessarily want to do but ultimately come to do them and, and hopefully down the road even love doing them because it's what's best for them. It's what's good for them. It's what causes them to flourish and to experience the true happiness and joy and contentment that it, the, 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 the Lord offers when we live in obedience to him and follow him. So I, I think that's a, a really good way to kind of start off this conversation is because, yeah, there, there might be some things that you – and I have to do as a parent that our kids won't be happy with, yeah. especially if we haven't developed a culture and we haven't developed habits in our home. We may have to do some resetting. And, yeah, there's going to be some initial difficulty. There's going to be some initial complaining and whining and maybe throwing of tantrums and that kind of thing. But ultimately, my long term goal is uh, that I raise faithful followers of Jesus. And uh, and so pain and suffering, <laughs> whatever that looks like. For our young people today may be part of the, 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 the task. Yeah. How do you teach or how do you sit down and have those conversations with your kids when you implement kind of a, a new strategy, you implement something new, they're upset with it. Is there something that you do on how you sit down with them and talk through them with, this is my end goal, this is what I desire. I know you probably don't recognize it right now, but trying to get them to see kind of the, the end goal, see the, see the long vision of, of what you're really trying to accomplish in, in how you parent. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on what stage of development your kids are at. So this is going to look different if I'm trying to implement this with my four-year-old 
or whether I'm going to implement it with my teenager. Because I think, and I think it's helpful for parents to understand that there are these different stages of moral development. And, and so what's required at each of those stages is kind of a different approach that you keep building on. So I think, for instance, in the, in the younger ages, really the, you know, um, the toddler age, the elementary school age, the focus uh, for my wife and I has been making it clear what the boundaries are, what the, the rules are, and then uh, helping our kids learn to submit to that authority and learn to, to obey the rules. And that's through a combination of uh, uh, incentives and, and, and punishments, right? Negative consequences, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think early on, uh, especially this is going to pay off in the long run, early on there's a lot of work that has to be done in terms of just the discipline of our kids early on um, that will you'll build on as they get older. So for, for my four-year-old or my five-year-old or my eight-year-old, really the focus is just on obedience to what mom and dad say. Now, that doesn't mean there's never discussion, but the general emphasis is on obedience to the, the rules. Yeah. Now, as they get older, I'm going to add a second step. I'm going to add the justification. So it's not just, here's the rule, obey. Um, now, let me, let me just say this and let me go back. What you do when you, uh, I guess, discipline well and when you have strong boundaries and you help your kids to submit to authority, what you help do is you help train the will. And what you help them do is learn self-control. They learn through discipline. Our kids learn how to say no to themselves. They learn how to say no to their sinful desires, their uh, fallen inclinations. And so you're laying that foundation of learning how to say no to yourself, learning how to be content with not getting whatever you want, and then learning how to submit to a higher authority, right? And of course, all of this is going back to, to God, eventually, who the, the authority they're ultimately going to have to submit to. Now, in this next stage of moral development, typically when they get into fifth, sixth grade, junior high, middle school, and high school, what we have added to that is the reasons behind the rules. So now, you know, when I'm talking to my four-year-old and I have a rule and they disobey, there's not a whole lot of explanation that goes on. You know, I don't, at that stage, their mind and heart and soul uh, aren't really capable of grasping this, you know, detailed justification and explaining through it. And I see sometimes parents will try to sit down with their kid and try to explain everything and it's just like going way over their kid's head. They're just not ready for that. But as they get older though, as their minds develop, as they begin to think more abstractly, now we want to give them the principles and the rules and the kind of the moral reasoning behind this stuff. And so we give reasons for the rules that we have. So now how does this apply to technology? Well, when we have a, a, a rule that says you can't take your smartphone into your bed, there's a reason behind that. Number one, we know that when you do that, you lose accountability. We also know that um, from from social science that that uh, will increase or that will decrease the amount of hours that you sleep because you end up being on your phone. And so things like this, these are this is kind of the reasoning we go through for this rule. And so what we do is we explain why we're giving this particular boundary or this rule. And then our policy in our house is that if you ever disagree with a rule 
absolutely fine, no problem, you can disagree with it, but you can't just say, well, I don't like it. You have to give us the reasons why you think it's not a good rule. Okay. And you have to try to convince us that your reasoning is stronger than our reasoning on this, and you need to show that my rule is either unreasonable, I don't have a good reason for it, and then I'll consider that, and if it's the case that my rule is really unreasonable, it's not a good rule, if my kids can show me that, then I am willing to rethink that rule. I'm willing to, to do away with it. And so we kind of we have that just kind of as part of the culture of our, our house. And what that does is two things. Number one, it, it allows our kids to uh, feel like they can actually challenge a rule they think is unreasonable, right? And, and uh, sometimes we as parents have to admit there are rules that are unreasonable. We just, it's maybe something we grew up with, we, or we kind of play the power card and say, well, because I said so, which that, now there's, uh, I, I don't want to be careful there because I think early on there's the authority card that we, we do play, and that's legitimate. But I'm talking about now later stages of development where I don't want to just simply say, this is the rule because I said so. It's now here's the rule and here's the reason why we have the rule, and ultimately it's for your flourishing. And, uh, and, I, and I think that models... I think that models our Heavenly Father as well. I think that models God. I think God gives us rules and guidelines and boundaries. Um, and, uh, and I think there are reasons why. It's for ultimately our flourishing because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. So, yeah. so, so all that to say, that's kind of the foundation that um, we, have to, uh, we have to have in place in order for us to, I think, really be able to make some progress with, with, progress with our young people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so if I'm starting that conversation with a teenager and I'm starting to implement new rules that haven't been in the house yet, I'm going to have to do a lot of work explaining the why. So that means I'm going to have to think through the why. I'm going to have to know why I don't want my kid on their smartphone after, you know, whatever, 10 p.m. Or I'm going to need to give a reason why they can't have it in their, their bedroom. Or I'm going to have to give a reason why I, they, they need to have filters or monitoring software or things like that. So, um, yeah, so that, I, that's what I would say in kind of in general in yeah. terms of how you start this. No, that's good. And, I mean, knowing your family, I know your son does debates, and I'm just curious, have your kids ever presented reasons and you go, wow, actually that is a bad rule? Have they ever won that argument? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, come on. My logic is impeccable. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, you have an MA philosophy. It should be, right? I mean, that's re really the reason I got an MA philosophy is that so that I could out debate my kids every single time. And your wife. Um, or and my wife. No. <laughs> no. No. Let me just give some advice right now. Don't use that one on your wife. You know, I will. Uh, I just let her win all the time. So there we go. Uh, I, it's a good. That's a good question. I, I'm trying to think of an illustration where they really had to challenge a particular rule we've had. I, I definitely think it's it's very rare. And part of that is is I, what it's caused my wife and I to do is to think carefully about what rules we have. Yeah, it it, it makes us it, it holds us accountable because I don't I, I don't want to just say because I said so. I have to think through and and those things that I I don't think I have a good reason for. Um, I just kind of have to cast aside. And uh, so anyway, I have to think through that. I bet yeah. I could ask my kids though. And they would probably think, oh, yeah, Dad, remember when you said this and then we said this? And of they course. Probably, yeah. They're going to remember that stuff. They're going to remember 
more quickly than I will. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Well, I think this is a great foundation of really kind of addressing the parent and how uh, we kind of go about setting these rules and helping our students, our kids understand the importance of what our goal is for them. Uh, I want to kind of shift over to what we talked about is navigating kind of this culture of screens from a, a usage maybe standpoint. And I think, you know, it doesn't take long to think of examples. You, just the other night, I went out on a date night with my wife and the table right next to us, incomes of family or two or three families combined for the kids about eight years old and younger, all four come walking in with their own iPad. They sit down and put their iPad on the screen. Dad sits right next to his kid, pulls out his phone. I mean, everyone's just on their phones. And I mean, even if you're in Southern California area, I was at downtown Disney for a birthday party. So right outside of, um, of Disney uh, and tons of entertainment, tons of stuff going on. Parents pushing their kid in a stroller and the kid's got an iPad in a stroller watching something on the iPad where even the magicians and all of the attractions of Disneyland is somehow not enough for this kid. Uh, and it just blows my mind. And so, you know, we, we have, we, this is the culture of the culture that we live in. And I think, I don't know, I, I think about, you know, you talking about these different levels of addressing this with your kids. And obviously, um, you know, if I think about my students who have been allowed to do something for a long time, then all of a sudden you're like, look, you got to pull the plug. And that's much more difficult where you have these two and three year olds that have just been trained where I get my iPad wherever I go. And so it yeah. starts something that we just get them used to what they're going to do. And so I know you have kind of some family rules on when you go on road trips and you spend a lot of time in the car and, and things like that. So how do you, or how would you kind of suggest uh, kind of initially of, of with the really small little kids and, and growing up into, you know, as they grow up, you know, what are some kind of guidelines to, to put in place as, as they learn how to navigate this world of screens when they don't have that awareness to know what they should and shouldn't do? Yeah. Yeah. And let me just apologize. I'm here in the, uh, my home office. So, uh, that, that was my, <laughs> My phone ringing in the background, if anyone's wondering. With the younger ages, I think what our primary goal there was, was to keep them off of screens for as much time as possible and for as long as possible. And there's some research on just child development, brain development in young kids who get on screens at early ages. And without going into the details of the research, I think Basically, what we can conclude is that the, the healthiest thing to do is to keep your kids off of screens for as long as possible. Now, think about it. Children for the last, what, four or 5,000 years of human existence <laughs> have survived childhood without a screen in front of their face. I don't know. I think we flourished, not just survived. I think we did well. Yeah. Exactly. And so a lot of um, I think a lot of what goes on is just we are socialized. We are socialized by the culture around us. And so we see our neighbors, our friends, people at Disneyland. The culture all around us is in front of the screens. And we just come to absorb this idea and this thought that this is normal. This is normal behavior. And so I think one thing that Christian parents have to do is step back and say, wait a second, this, this world is not our home. American culture is not our home. My primary citizenship is of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, uh, and things should look different in my home. In fact, I think that's a mantra that Christian parents ought to repeat to their kids and uh, instill in their kids from the very get-go is that we are different. 
And we're different because we're followers of Jesus, because our citizenship belongs primarily in a different kingdom. And so we are going to have to, to, to constantly say we're different. We're different. And, and let our kids really um, let that soak in and get comfortable with that. Right. I think and in fact, as a, I mean, that's just that that's going to serve them well as a follower of Jesus in a fallen world. We are going to be different, not just when it comes to technology. But if I've got this kind of culture I'm developing in my home from a very early age that we are different, then that's then that's going to help me as I take this particular area of technology and then help them to live differently than their friends, because I see it all around. It's yeah, uh, it's elementary school now. It used to be junior high where there was pressure to get a cell phone. And now that just keeps getting pushed lower and lower. And so now it's third and fourth graders, second graders, even even first graders who parents are handing smartphones to. That's crazy. Right. And so, I, in fact, I was just speaking at a Christian school in Memphis a couple months ago. And I was speaking about uh, technology to fifth, sixth, and seventh graders, and I asked them a show of hands, how many of you have a smartphone? And I would say 98% of those kids raised their hands and said they had a smartphone. Yeah. It was, and fifth graders, the vast minority of fifth graders didn't have a smartphone. And man, talk about the, talk about social pressure. Yeah. And so what we're gonna have to do is number one, I think hold off our kids for as long as possible from screens in our homes. So. One of the things that we have to do as parents is model that. That means I cannot be on my screen all the time. I can't every night check out and uh, just turn on Netflix. I mean, I'm gonna have to model you know, self-control on the screens as well so that they, my kids can see uh, that consistency in me and um, hold them off as long as possible so that they can develop uh, a good habits of self-control. I mean, the earlier they're on, the easier it is for them to get addicted. Yeah. I mean, there, there's all kinds of uh, research done on just kind of the brain chemistry uh, with screens and um, you know neurons that are firing and dopamine that's rewarding the brain and and that gets us addicted to our technologies and our social media platforms. I mean, we can look at all that stuff, but uh, so I think we hold them off as long as possible, and that means that just means you, you're going to look very different than other families around. And so that's where I think the church can play a huge role in providing an alternative community, like our children's ministries and our youth ministries and the families are in our churches should be an alternative community so that our kids, when they go to school Monday through Friday, if they're at a public school or a private Christian school or, or whatever, uh, where they're getting all this social pressure to be on screens and to own screens all the time and so much life now is uh, centered around a screen, that they have an alternative community that's living differently than that. Yeah. Flourishing. And so that's where I think having, gathering together with other families who hold similar values, um, having a youth ministry that has, you know, uh, strict rules on, you know, the use of screens at youth group or on trips or that kind of thing, all that will help us as well. Well, I think that's one thing that's that's been so impactful for me to, is to see and, and be around youth groups and and places and parents that have done this well and seeing what it does to the students. So for example, I remember one of the Maven immersive experiences going on a youth group where the youth pastor took away all the phones for the entire week. And it was incredible to see how these students uh, were able to ride in the car for a long distance and, and not just 
isolate themselves, but actually talk and learn and grow and, and be in that relationship and that community, uh, friendship with people, as well as, you know, just the, I don't know, just the engagement that they had in the world around them as we spent that week up in Berkeley without their phones. Yeah, and I think what students tell us after this kind of thing, so like on our, you know, our immersive experiences, we, we have some boundaries in terms of uh, technology, but our, my home youth ministry that my kids are involved in, I love that our youth pastor's there on trips. They tell kids, you can't even bring them. Yeah. And it's actually the, the kids who are the biggest problems and who complain the most. It's often the parents. Absolutely. Which is, is crazy. <laughs> But the kids, after five, six, seven day trip where they haven't had their phones, it's universal. They all say, I'm so glad I didn't have my phone. Yep. Uh, they actually want us to guide them and lead them in that. Even though they may throw a fit at first, they understand. Many of them already realize that they're somewhat addicted or fully addicted to their technology. Yeah. In fact, I talk to students, high school students, who say, When I'm doing my homework, I have to hand my phone over to my parents. And I have to tell them not to give it to me or I because I can't control myself and I'll check social media every 15 minutes and I can't get my homework done. And so they want our help. They want our guidance and our wisdom, even if they, they push back uh, from it at first. They, they need to experience the flourishing yeah. on a trip like this, what it's like not to have that thing, not to be attached to it, not to be addicted to it. And then they come back and they go, man, that was so great. I didn't Thank you all so much for listening to part one of my interview with Brett Kunkel. Next week is part two. Head over to YouTube and see the whole thing. It was recorded live. Have a blessed week. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly.